Tonight we're going to be taking a little break from our series on evidence for the Bible. Um, we'll get back to that in two weeks. But right now we're going to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. We're going to talk about what they believe. We're going to talk about um, the New World Translation, their specific translation of the Bible. We'll talk about how to interact with them a little bit and some advice on how to interact with Jehovah's Witnesses. And a lot of their errors. There are a great many errors in the teachings and doctrines of the Jehovah's Witness religion. Uh, from the Watchtower organization. I'll get into the details here, but I'm going to move pretty fast. I'm going to move pretty fast through these things. So we'll do a Q&A later. I could try to fill in any, any blank spots I leave later on. Um, and I just want for any Jehovah's Witnesses who, are, who might be watching this video, because I know you are watching it, <laughs> that uh, this is not an attack on you. Um, this is meant to be a lifeline. If the things that I'm saying are true, then this is a lifeline to you to bring you aid and help and get you out of a deception. And maybe help your family too. Because if it's not true, then it's not true. And so, um, let me tell you a little bit about Jehovah's Witness religion. It's about 100, 130, 140 years old. Supposedly started by 1852. Um, it continued to grow. The original founder was a guy named Charles Taze Russell. Um, I'll just tell you one factoid about Charles Taze Russell. This is a matter of public record. He was actually brought into... Uh, court actually brought himself into court to sue somebody else. During his time, he had been writing these these uh, these books, this teaching and stuff like that about interpreting the scriptures. And he had his own special interpretation of the scriptures, which he said was basically a Bible in and of itself. It was so great, his interpretations. It was like its own Bible. Well, somebody, a guy named J.J. Ross, wrote a book called Some Facts and Some More Facts about self-styled pastor Charles Taze Russell, and he wrote some very negative things about Russell. Russell took exception to this, and he took the man to court. So he went to public court in 1913. He sued J.J. Russell, J.J. Uh, Ross, excuse me. Now, Charles Taze Russell was, was accused of not knowing the ancient languages. That was one of the accusations in this book, some things about Russell. Here is a quote from the court case. The attorney, Staunton, while Charles Taze Russell was on the stand, says to him, Do you know Greek, Pastor? Do you know Greek? Charles Russell says, Oh, yes. Of course, he has to say this because he's making claims that he's, he's discovered the truth of Christianity, which is very different than historical Christianity or, or, or what we will believe right now today. And it's based upon things like, oh, but in the Greek, but in the Greek, but in the Greek. So it kind of talks over people's heads. So he says, oh, yes, I know Greek. He says, can you tell me the correct letters if you see them? Well, then Russell responds, well, some of them. I might make a mistake on some of them. When we say the correct letters, we mean the alphabet, the Greek alphabet. Can you, is this an alpha? Is this an upsilon? Is this an omega? You know, is, is this a zeta? What, is, what are these letters? Then he says, would you tell me the names in the top of page 447 I've got here? So he actually shows him a copy of West Cotton Hort's Greek text, Greek texts of the Bible, the New Testament, and there he is looking at it, page 447, he goes, just tell me some of the letters on the top line of this page. So Charles Taze Russell responds, he says, well, I don't know, and then the attorney says, you can't tell what those letters are? Look at them and see if you know. And then Charles begins to explain, backpedaling, and he says, well, my way, and he starts to explain his, his particular way of really getting the interpretations. Maybe he was going to say he gets it by the spirit or something like that. Then the lawyer interrupts him and says, are you familiar with the Greek language? And Charles Taze Russell admits in public court documents, no. 
So we started by saying, yes, I know Greek, and ended by saying, no, I don't really know Greek, not even the alphabet. Now, let me be clear. I know, I know more Greek than Charles Taze Russell. Okay, I could, I could do the Greek alphabet. If, you've been to, if you were in a fraternity, you know more Greek than Charles Taze Russell at this point. That's shameful because he bases his religion on his higher knowledge of this sort of thing. So, not meant to be an attack, but in a sense, it's a response to an attack. His, his is an attack on the scriptures and on Christianity. And here's the response. So, um, according to their website, watchtower.org, they have about 8.2 million Jehovah's Witnesses. You, also, you can also go to jw.org. 8.2 million Jehovah's Witnesses around the world. There's 1,243,000 of them in the United States, according to their website. Is that how accurate is that? I don't know, but that's the number that they give. Um, that's definitely, um, they're, they're more active and more of an issue or concern than, than Mormonism is today, certainly in our, in our local area. In fact, there's been a recent resurgence in our area. Have you noticed it? You've driven by them many, many times, many times in our local area here, in Bellflower, in Downey, in uh, Southgate, in Paramount, in Long Beach. I see them all the time in our local area here, Southern California. They not only go door to door with the magazines that they hand out, but they're also now setting up magazine stands where they stand on the side of a road in a public area and they just have a magazine stand sitting there. They often like to go to bus stops and those types of public areas where people tend to walk. And they'll be there available with their magazine stands, that sort of thing. Now, we should make no confusion about this. Jehovah's Witnesses are, in, in there's a Christian theological term, cult. They're a cult, C-U-L-T. This, uh, it, there's a general dictionary definition of the word cult. It basically means a religion. But they're, but they're not only that, they're not only are they a religion, but they're a cult in the Christian theological definition, which means an offshoot of Christianity, where we, we, we take some elements of Christianity, but we twist the, the very, very important essentials, but then we still claim to come from the Bible. So they're, they're not a cult offshoot of Christianity. In this sense, I mean, Islam is like a cult offshoot, because they claim to also come from the Bible. But then they have to claim the Bible's perverted, because it doesn't actually teach what they teach. So they have to go, oh, but you don't have the right Bible and it's perverted and it's lost, so you need the Quran. Um, in that sense, Mormonism is a cult. Whereas I would say, like, paganism would not be a cult in this sense. Because it's not an offshoot of Christianity. It's just a false religion. So these are not just little differences, they're big differences. So let's get into some of the differences. What are some of the beliefs that Jehovah's Witnesses have? Well, when it comes to Jesus, you start to see some of the real, clear, and big differences between the Bible and Jehovah's Witness uh, teachings. They believe that Jesus is a created being. Jesus is a created being. In fact, before he was Jesus, before the man Jesus existed, there was an, an, an entity named Michael the Archangel. And this person, Michael the Archangel, became a man. And that's when the man Jesus existed. And Michael was the first cre creation made. So this is Jehovah's Witness teaching. First, God made Michael. And then, that's the only thing God directly made, Jehovah God directly made. Then, th through Michael, everything else was made. But so now, here we have this, this Michael becomes Jesus. I know this is confusing. It's indefensible. There's no verse in the Bible that says that Michael is Jesus. Uh, there's, there's nothing even remotely like this. In fact, it really seems to me that the book of Hebrews chapter 1 is specifically written to refute this concept in its entirety. I mean, just to re just read the chapter without any commentary and tell me, is Jesus an angel? 
Clearly not. Clearly not. This is exactly what that chapter is all about. So they say that Michael became Jesus, but then Jesus ceased to exist upon his death. And then the man Jesus is dead, forever dead, and then Michael was raised, but not a physical resurrection, a spiritual resurrection. Whereas the Bible, if you've studied the resurrection passages in the scripture, it was clearly a physical resurrection. Jesus goes on to talk about how he has flesh and bones, how he he's eats with them and discusses things with them. I have a whole thing on evidence for the resurrection, a video on that. And we go through these different appearances, and it's, it's, like, it's like the Bible went through great pains to make it clear that the claim is a physical resurrection of the same Jesus that died. Whereas Jehovah's Witness teachings are that when you, when you get resurrected, you die. And if you're resurrected, it's not a resurrected same you. It's rather you're recreated by God's memory of you. And so it's kind of a different thing. And you're a spirit being. It, there's, no, there's, no physic, there's no physicality in that. Um, that, that would be, in, in Michael's case, Jesus' case. And that'll be the case of the anointed, the special, the special Jehovah's Witnesses who are part of that, um, that special caste. So already you might be scratching your head. And already you see how, why, why this is more information than I could really dig into. Because we could just spend the entire time talking about this one subject. But let's move forward. According to them, Jesus did not die on a cross. He died on a stake. The shape of the, of the device that killed him uh, or that he was hung upon was a stake. A, a single piece of wood going straight into the ground. It was not a cross. Two pieces of wood. They make a big deal about this. This is from Reasoning from the Scriptures, 1985, pages 89 and 90. You're welcome to look at my notes later if you want to. Um, you can have them if you'd like. They'll often make a point of sharing this. Now, why would they make a point of, of saying, hey, Jesus died on a, on a stake, on a torture stake, not the cross? Why would they emphasize this doctrine? Because what they do is they want to knock you off. They want to throw you off by hitting you with something that you've never even heard before. I'm not saying that the individual Jehovah's Witness who's at your door is thinking this. I'm saying this is the thinking of the people who arm them, tell them what to say, and then send them to your door. To throw you off. Because if I can tell you something and you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now I become the authority. So now I can begin to lead you down the path of, of whatever I want you to believe. Um, however, historically, there's zero, zero, zero evidence that Jesus was killed on a torture stake. But their, their translation of the Bible, will, Jesus will say, take up your torture stake and follow me. Instead of take up your cross. It's just a mistranslation of, of the word that means cross. That's all it is. It's meant to get you off base. Um, there's more. They believe that Jesus began his invisible rule over the earth in 1914. Now, the Bible says not to believe people if they say that Jesus is invisibly returned. But he'll have a visible return. It says in, in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 14, talks about it. Jesus says, don't believe it if they say, Go to the, I'm, I'm in the inner rooms, I return. No, no, when I come, every eye will see. Everybody's going to know it. But they're claiming that he did come back in 1914. That was a response to a false prophecy when they said that the end was coming and that it didn't come. So then they said, oh, well, he came. He's just, it was invisible. We'll get more, more about that later. That's um, on the, the truth shall make you free, page 300. That's where that was. They think the word firstborn, this is important. The word firstborn in your, in your Bible, as it refers to Jesus, means first one created. Firstborn doesn't actually mean first, first one created. Um, firstborn is a title. This is just what it means. It's a title that means this is the one who has the authority in the family. This is the one who, who inherits and controls things and runs the home, runs the house, so to speak. So Jesus, the firstborn, and in fact, it's not 
Michael is never called the firstborn, but Jesus is called the firstborn. Uh, and he's also called the only born of God, the only begotten of God. And so it's, it's not because Adam was born first, or at least his son, if you want to talk about physical human birth, then Cain would have been the first one born. Um, so this is actually a title. It's not about being the first one created. And birth and creation are two separate things, um, unless you think babies are created when they're born, <laughs> which seems a little strange because how does the ultrasound see them in the womb if that's when they're created? is out at birth. So that's a, that's a confusion. It doesn't fit the Greek, and it also doesn't fit rationality. They don't believe in the resurrection, not the way we do. This phrase comes from Russell himself in uh, Let God Be True, pages 453 and 454. He says this, The man Jesus is dead, forever dead. Forever dead. Then in Let God Be True, page 125, he says, So the King Jesus, the, the King Jesus Christ was put to death in the flesh and was resurrected an invisible spirit creature. An invisible spirit creature. Although if you just read the Gospels, this is clearly not what happened. If, if he was resurrected an invisible spirit creature, why was his body gone from the tomb? If it was an invisible spirit creature, why did he still have the wounds and ask the disciples to inspect those very wounds? Why then did he say, I'm not a ghost, I'm not a spirit, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. He said this. I mean, it, it's as though God, in his wisdom, somehow knew that Jehovah's Witnesses would be hearing these lies and try to protect them from them with the scriptures, which I think is exactly what happened. <laughs> So, they think um, that, yeah, he didn't rise. And let's read some more. In uh, Let God Be True, pages 453, 454, again, it says, He was put to death a man, but was raised from the dead a spirit being of the highest order of the divine nature. In other words, he became a godlike creature, a, a type of divine being. And we'll get into that more as we go. As we go. Sorry, when it comes to these things, when you take Christianity and you twist it into a false religion, it becomes a tangled web of confusion. It's just what it becomes. And the sad thing is those who are raised with these beliefs their whole lives are so confused when they start to come out of it. They've, they've, got, they've got decades of wrong teaching ingrained in their minds. Like, you say resurrection, they're thinking something totally different than you. They, there's two different kinds of resurrections. There's different, you know, there's a physical one, there's a non-physical one. The non-physical is the better, the physical is the lower. They don't believe in hell. There's all these different things that are just ingrained in there. And I imagine it would be very, very hard, very, very hard to come out of being a Jehovah's Witness and say, I just want to know the word because it'd be hard to separate that from the lies that you've been taught. I mean, you really need a lot of patience, maybe some help and a lot of help from the Spirit. So, according to them, everybody dies and just stops existing. You, 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 when you, even if you're a good Jehovah's Witness, you die, you just cease existing. And then, when there's a resurrection, those who are resurrected are simply recreated based upon the memory God has of them. And there is no spirit or soul like in Christian theology. Like, you're just, you're just this. Interesting. They believe, well, let me read to you. And let God be true, page 87, Russell uh, wrote this. The justice of God would not permit that Jesus, as a ransom, be more perfect, be more than a perfect man. So God's justice would not allow Jesus to be better than simply a perfect man, and certainly not the supreme God Almighty in the flesh. 
So it's a complete and total denial of the deity of Christ, which is taught throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. Jesus himself taught this. The disciples taught it. The church has always believed it historically. And I, I would challenge anyone to, 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 che- to check me on that. Please check me on that. Go ahead. Um, for more information on, on, uh, on what scholars have said about some of these issues, I'd encourage you guys to hit me up afterwards. I could, I could send you a link if you'd like to get more details. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit. So what do they believe about the Holy Spirit? They think the Holy Spirit is a non-personal force. The Holy Spirit in Jehovah's Witness teaching is an it, not a he. Think about this. It's in, in fact, they would say the Holy Spirit is God's active force. Like, it's sort of uh, not a really clear terminology as far as what the Holy Spirit is. But what the Holy Spirit is not is not God. The Holy Spirit is not a person. The Holy Spirit doesn't have thoughts, doesn't have feelings, doesn't have desires, doesn't have a will. Yet in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is given credit for have all those things and is always, always referred to as he, never as it. Always. In fact, gifts are given according as the Spirit wills, the scripture says. So the Spirit has a will. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit directs us. You, you can't get guidance and direction and will an intent, you can grieve the Spirit. You can't grieve like electricity. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, and these are all qualities of personhood that the Spirit has. Yeah. The Spirit gives life. In the Old Testament, the Spirit speaks. In the New Testament, the Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit descends. The, the Holy Spirit fills. Um, anyway, there's all these qualities and things the Holy Spirit has that is, are undeniably is God. In fact, the Holy Spirit, is, it's, it's mixed um, when the Holy Spirit speaks and then God speaks, it, it, both God and the Holy Spirit are giving credit for saying the exact same thing, same sentence, which means the Holy Spirit is God. I mean, there's no, there's no rational way around that. So they don't believe in hell. There's no belief in hell. They believe in annihilation. Annihilation. So they teach, in fact, that hell is a doctrine Satan made up and spread. For those of us who've simply read the Bible, and that's, just, just, that's your source for all this information, <laughs> It's strange because you read about hell. You read specific descriptions of it, you know? And then you're like, well, what do you think about, like, the place that the ungodly go when they die? And so that's why Jehovah's Witnesses are never supposed to study the Bible alone. They're supposed to study the Bible along with their Watchtower-approved materials. Because this is what's going to spin any passage of the scriptures and, and keep the theology solid in their teaching. In fact, they've been told that if you study the Bible alone... This is what it says in, in some of their publications. If you study the Bible alone, you'll fall away. You desperately need to read the Watchtower stuff, not just the Bible alone. And I would say that's, a, that's an unintentional admission that what they're teaching is falsehood. Because I would say if you read the Bible alone and you end up disagreeing with me, then maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> that would be my philosophy on this stuff. Now, they believe there are three categories of people in this world. Christians, we, we, looked at, we see there's two. There's the saved and the unsaved. Those are the two categories. That's it. But in Jehovah's Witness teaching, Watchtower teaching, there are three. There's the anointed class. There's the great cl- crowd, the great crowd. And then there's the rest of us, the, the unsaved or the, the, um, the apostate, whatever you want to call us. The anointed class are 144,000 people. 144,000 people existing from Pentecost till now. That's it. There's only 144,000 of them from 2,000 years ago up until today. 144,000 people total. That means, think of the math. That means that if there were about 70 a year, 
a year on earth from the time of Pentecost until now. That would be approximately the amount. 70 per year that get to be the anointed class. Most of the modern anointed class are in Brooklyn, New York. They're most of the modern anointed class, they're in Brooklyn, New York. And these are the ones that will be resurrected as spirit beings and they'll rule and reign with Christ, who is the first of the 144,000, in their opinion. Yeah. Um, only some, only some. The majority, probably not 144,000 of them, but yeah, there are some that are alive. But yeah, they're human beings. They're actually people, specific individuals that are part of this anointed class. Yeah, this is, this is real people, you know. Who, who know they're part of the anointed class because once a year when they get together around Easter, which is one of their big ways of promoting their church, their organization, um, they invite everyone to a memorial service for Christ's death. And then they bring you in. They make it look like it's just a Christian service. They bring you in. And one of the things they do is they pass communion around. But no one partakes of communion unless they're part of this anointed class. If you were to attend this event once a year, which you're, you're invited to, we all are. You probably got a flyer on your door this year for it. Um, then you would see they pass communion. Nobody takes it. They just keep passing it and passing it because taking the communion is a way of proclaiming that you're one of the 144,000. Um, so, so pretty much nobody does. But um, then you're proclaiming you're one of the 144,000. So, yeah, yeah. So I'll probably handle most of your questions after just for the sake of being able to get through all the info because um, I know there's going to be a lot of questions. So. Now, according to that, according to the Watchtower organization, in 1935, God stopped calling people into the anointed class. 1935. Now, that's a long time ago. Meaning that if you're part of the anointed class, you have to be very old. You've got to be much a much older individual. So if I'm like, say, 17 years old, no matter how great of a Jehovah's Witness I am, I can never be one of the anointed. Because that's it. The number is full. The 144,000 have happened. God doesn't call people to it anymore. The second group, the second class, is the great crowd. They are also Jehovah's Witnesses. They are also Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have an earthly hope. See, it's seen that the, the, um, the anointed class has a heavenly hope, and the great crowd has an earthly hope. The vast majority of witnesses you meet, probably every Jehovah's Witness you'll ever meet, is one of these in their theology. They will be resurrected as physical beings, which is a lesser resurrection, and they will live on paradise earth, which they see as a different place than heaven. Whereas in Revelation, you read about it, paradise is in heaven and earth are joined heaven you know they're together that they're together in just one location um, but their theology teaches this thing differently they teach a spiritual resurrection for the anointed a physical resurrection for the quote-unquote great crowd and then there's the third category which is everybody else who will simply be annihilated your soul or whatever you are ceases to exist you will not exist at all um, which is of course I think I did a teaching on hell. Actually, was that on a YouTube video or was that just for our youth ministry? I think it was just for the youth, wasn't it? It was just the youth. So if you're a teenager, you know. Anyway, um, Jesus alone is not enough for salvation according to Watchtower teachings. Jesus alone is not enough for salvation. Let me read to you. Studies in the scripture, one, page 150. Russell wrote, The ransom for all given by, and this, these are in quotes, the man Christ Jesus does not give or guarantee everlasting life or blessing to any man. So Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it doesn't give or guarantee everlasting life or blessing to any man. In Jehovah's Witness teaching, in the Watchtower teachings, you've got four requirements for these blessings of salvation. 
and here they are. I'll give them to you in order. One, you have to, quote unquote, take in knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Take in knowledge. This, sort of, this is sort of a twisted quote from John 17 where he says, this is, this is, this is eternal life to know you, the only true God, and, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That knowing God and, and his son, knowing God in Christ, that this is, this is eternal life. But what they, they wouldn't say knowing God, but rather taking in knowledge of God. So it's more informational than it is relational. Jesus spoke of it as being relational. Knowing God is eternal life, but they, it's informational. And when they say taking in knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, what they mean is specific Jehovah's Witness doctrines about God and Jesus Christ. So Jesus is Michael the Archangel and all that kind of thing. Number two, the second requirement, obeying God's laws. Obeying God's laws, which is not to say the Old Testament uh, law of Moses, but rather the, the rules of, of morality and that sort of thing. In other words, works for salvation. Number three, you have to belong to the Jehovah's Witness organization. Interestingly, they use Acts chapter 4 for this, which we'll come to later, assuming we have time, which we won't. Um, we'll see. So you have to belong to the JW group. And also, number four, you have to have loyalty. You can't just be a member. You've got to be an active member. Does that make sense? You've got to have loyalty or promoting the Jehovah's Witness organization and giving out or selling its material. This is why they go door to door. It's not because they want to save you. All, not that none of them have that in their mind, but rather all of them have been told that this is something they have to do. In fact, to be considered, and this is an important thing you want to be if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you want to be an active publisher. I'm an active publisher. What does that mean? It means you spend at least 10 hours a week publishing material, sending out material to people about the Watchtower organization. So 10 hours a week going door to door, door to door. This is why, and I'm just going to say this in all honesty, an observation I made. This is why Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses I've seen over and over again, this is why they walk so slow. I don't know if you've noticed this. When they come to your door, then they go to your neighbor's door. It's like a five-minute walk between houses. I mean, maybe, maybe not that much. But, but it is, I've never seen anybody. I've gone handing out tracks. I'm like, I'm like rushing to the next person. I'm like, I only got this long to do it. And I'm like going, oh, da, 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 get as many out as I can. Why do they walk so slow? Because they're like, I don't need X number of houses. I need X number of hours. It's an hourly thing, not a salary thing. <laughs> Put it that way. Anyway, so you have to be an active publisher. That's very important. Now, the Bible's super clear on this issue. These are the four requirements. This is certainly not the case. Um, the Bible's clear that if you add works to the gospel, then you don't have a gospel anymore. Let me read to you this incredibly important verse, Romans eleven six. If salvation, it says, and if by grace, speaking of salvation, if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Listen to that. If it's by grace, it's not of works. You can't have, but you can't mix them, grace and works. It's either grace or it's works, right? If by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace meaning you're playing with the meaning of the word. You're trying to change the definition of the word, which is another way of saying cult, changing definitions of biblical terms. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Look, if work and grace even mean what they mean, you can't mix them. And Jehovah's Witness teachings mix grace plus works. Anybody else that does, Catholicism mixes grace plus works. Pretty much every false religion out there mixes faith, uh, faith grace, which you get, you get by faith, plus works. When you mix the two, you no longer have either. You've got this nonsense that's going on that's a rejection of the gospel. So beliefs about their church. Here's some things they believe about their church in particular. They believe that their church is the prophet of God. 
And their church, when I say their church, I really am speaking of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. That's the name of the group, or just all abbreviate, the Watchtower. They, they, you will see that the material this group publishes, the Watchtower magazine or the Awake magazine, they'll be presenting these to you. Um, even though they have had several false prophecies that prove that they're not prophets. They're false prophets. I actually did, it, did a video in my first in the series on evidence for the Bible. Video number one there. That one gave a, a list of Jehovah's Witness false prophecies from the Watchtower group. So I'll put a link in this video description if you want to check that out. But... Um, for the sake of time, we'll move forward tonight. They claim, though, that they're the prophet of God. So th- here's a specific organization with a small group of men who runs it, and they're saying, we are the active voice of God in the world. You must yield and submit to us. This is a hallmark of every false group I've ever seen. There's always a group of people up there at the top who feel like they stand and speak for God, and they end up telling you not only what, you, what to believe, but also what to believe about the Bible and how to interpret it. So Mormonism has its prophet and its, its, um, its uh, quorum of 12, you know, and the president and all that. Um, Catholicism has the Pope and the bishops in, communion, in fellowship with him. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, they have the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. They also claim that not only are they a channel of God's truth, they claim to be the only channel of God's truth. This is in Watchtower Magazine for, uh, for the sake of just getting it out there. February 15th, 1981, page 19 of Watchtower Magazine. Members of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, members of the JW religion, are not allowed to get information from other sources. This is why, though I've tried to hand them tracts, hand them booklets, give them material, or even show them a book that I have to read to them, they won't look at it. And it's like a superstitious fear to even look at it. And why is that there? Because they've been told that they're not allowed to get information from other sources. In fact, if you're a Jehovah's Witness watching this video right now, you know you're like sinning just by watching the video. (laughs) Which is why on my Jehovah's Witness video, what do I say when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door? I have all the time Jehovah's Witnesses who come on there and they start their sentence by, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, but then they go and they start preaching Jehovah's Witness stuff because they don't want anyone to know because then other ones pop on and they go, you shouldn't be on here. I mean, it's, they're like, it's weird. It's weird because it's a mind control technique. Never let you research outside of our little bubble that we've, 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 we've taught you. Never let you find out things. Um, it's a mind control tactic. It's a mind control tactic. And it's very sad. And one of the things the Watchtower does recently is they'll take good, solid Christian apologetics and they'll plagiarize it from other sources and they'll put it in their Watchtower magazines, but then they'll strip certain elements of it so that in the beginning of the magazine you're getting all this good like apologetics material and then you flip through a few pages and they start preaching Jehovah's Witness stuff. Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness person, you think that your Watchtower group's a bunch of geniuses, but you don't realize they're just plagiarizing something they got, they got from some other uh, Christian ministry. I know, because I saw it there first, before the Watchtower came out. Um, But they're not allowed to look into it. They have to assume I'm lying. I'm a deceiver. I couldn't possibly be telling the truth. And and you're not allowed to double check. You're not allowed to double check. So it's unfortunate. But the Watchtower, check this out. Here's here's one particular statement, just to expose some of the hypocrisy that happens inside the Watchtower. They said this, We all need help understanding the Bible. And we cannot find the scriptural guidance we need outside the faithful and discreet slave organization. That, that's the nickname for the Watchtower group. They go, we're the faithful and discreet slave. That's from Watchtower, February 15th, 1981. They also said this, 
1943, the same group. Watchtower, July 1st, page 201. They said this, The Vatican belittles Bible study by claiming it's the only organization authorized and qualified to interpret the Bible. Wait, so the Vatican belittles Bible study, according to them, because they claim they're the only ones who can interpret the Bible. But then the Watchtower says we're the only ones. It's just that they said it many years later. Because why? Well, unlike the Bible, they change. And getting more and more power and authority for themselves, they ended up taking the place of the ones that they were criticizing. Only their church members will be saved. That's in the Watchtower as well. Um, only 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses actually get to go to heaven. That's, uh, that's all over their texts. Reasoning from the Scriptures, uh, 1985, pages 166, 167, page 361, Let God Be True, page 121. They are not resurrected in bodies, of course. We mentioned that. They're invisible spirit creatures. 1 Corinthians 15 clearly rebukes this. Just read the passage. I don't even need to tell you what it means, okay? Just read it. It's clearly a physical resurrection that the Bible promises to all of us. It also shows that paradise means being with God, not being on a separate level of eternity. Um, it just means being with God, and it, of course, um, includes all believers. Now, there's, there's certain practices that Jehovah's Witness is not allowed to do. You probably know of some of them. You've probably heard of some of them. I'm going to give you just a little list here. This isn't everything, but this is some stuff. So here's outlawed practices Jehovah's Witness is not allowed to do. No JW is allowed to do these things. Here's, here's them. They can't salute any flag, any flag or serve in the military. These are considered to be evil practices. They cannot celebrate birthdays. Some people have left the Jehovah's Witness church over this issue. I would say it's good that you left that false church, but you picked a really small issue. You should leave them because the gospel message is wrong. Um, they believe that blood transfusions are sinful because they think it's the same as eating blood, which was forbidden throughout the scripture. They think the cross is a pagan symbol and should not be used. They cannot talk to former Jehovah's Witnesses. That's something else they can't do. They can't talk to former Jehovah's Witnesses. This practice is called shunning. And it's a very unpleasant experience that happens to people when they decide that they're no longer going to be Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not even allowed to talk to them. Um, they're not allowed to read or study anything contrary to Watchtower teachings, including this video that they're watching right now. They have their own. There's just a few of the practices that they're not allowed to do. Now, none of those are found in Scripture. None of that's found in Scripture. They have their own translation of the New Testament. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about that. Anybody know the name of it? New, translation. New World Translation. New World Translation, the NWT. Um, it looks... Usually, somewhat similar to my Bible here, just a smaller, uh, looks fine on the outside, you know, but what the New World Translation is, it's an extremely poor, not accurate mistranslation of the Bible. Now, if you were Jehovah's Witness and you're hearing this, you're thinking, you evil man, why are you saying such horrible things about, because you've been taught from the time you were little that this is, this is the best translation out there. But if it is, then why don't, why don't you learn some Greek and check? Oh, but no, that's, that's, that's apostate thinking. You can't, you can't do that. Why is it that, that the founder of your, your whole belief system didn't know Greek and lied about it? And that's the basis of this translation is his lies. Basically, the Bible so clearly teaches against Jehovah's Witness teachings that they had to make their own translation to change passages, to twist them, to try to look more like they mean what Jehovah's Witness meaning teaches, teachings are. 
So most Jehovah's Witnesses have been taught that their translation the New World is the best one ever made. Um, but let me give you some examples. Um, the, the term Je- Jehovah, meaning God's name, Jehovah, uh, Jehovah God, this is very important to a Jehovah's Witness. They believe that uh, God won't respond to you, won't listen to you, most of them believe this, that unless you use his name properly, Jehovah, Jehovah. So the, the New World translation has the word Jehovah in it many, many, many times. Many times. Let me show you, if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, and let's look at one of the passages that I've heard used even when they were at my door to defend the idea that you have to say Jehovah when you talk to God or else he's not going to hear you. So here's a a passage specifically on that. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. So verse uh, 12 here, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is the verse I heard quoted. I was young enough in the Lord that I didn't even know the context of this verse or anything. And I thought, there's no other name. And I'd just been told that Jehovah was the proper name and there's no other name. So you have to call Jehovah or else it doesn't work. And so then I said, can I, can I look at the Bible real quick? And I backed up a few verses and let's read from verse eight now. What is the no other name? It says here, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, because this man had been healed, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So that there is a belief that Jesus and salvation through Jesus, this is the, num- this is the thing. This is it. Well, nope, not in Jehovah's Witness teaching. In Jehovah's Witness teaching, it's the term Jehovah that becomes really important. And of course, we're not talking about Jesus' pronunciation. We're talking about who he is. But they're going to they're gonna go from a different perspective. So let's talk about that a little bit because it's the foundation of the New World Translation. Of the Old and New Testament, they retranslate and they make sure to render the name God Jehovah. In your Bible, it may be capital G, capital O, capital D. Or it may be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that, it's the term Jehovah, sort of. But here's the problem. There's no J in Hebrew. Russell didn't know this because Russell didn't know Hebrew. There's no J in Hebrew. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion, Chet, Det, Yod, Ka. There's no J. There's no J sound in Hebrew. The letters making up the name of God, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, right? It's often translated, most often nowadays people would say it's probably, it's probably pronounced Yahweh. Yahweh. Jehovah was a Latinization or a Germanization of that word. Meaning pulling it into other languages and replacing certain sounds with other sounds as happens when you move languages with words. So the pronunciation is incorrect. Now, nowadays, they, they of course know this, so they go, yeah, but it's the accepted, it's the accepted pronunciation. And you're like, accepted by who? <laughs> when modern scholars go, no, 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 that's not even, that's not right. Uh, Jehovah was, I can give you the whole story of how it came, but the point is, it's not. It's not right. Yahweh would be more correct, but even their key verse on this doesn't teach what it's supposedly supposed to teach. But thousands of times the name of God is used in the Old Testament. Thousands of times. 
But what you'll see in the New, Test- the New Testament is in your Bible, you will not have Jehovah or Yahweh one time in your New Testament. And the Jehovah's Witnesses say that's because you people took it out. It's a conspiracy. The problem is we have the Greek. And if you learn just a little bit of Greek, you can learn this. Not one time is Yahweh used in the New Testament. Not one time even in the Greek. Not even once. Yet in the, in the New Testament, the Jehovah's Witnesses have, the New World Translation, you'll see Yahweh used all the time, or Jehovah used over and over and over again. Why? Because they just stuck it in there. Maybe they were quoting an Old Testament text and they said, well, it would have said Jehovah, so they'll put it in there. Other times they just throw it in there. They, they just make stuff up. That is not a translation. That's just a propaganda device. I had a Jehovah's Witness come to my door who I was talking with and very friendly. We got along great, at least to my knowledge. And, um, and I told him, I said, he said, uh, you know, the, the name Jehovah is not in your Bible. I said, yeah, man, I, I wish that more translations would translate either Jehovah or Yahweh in the Old Testament, not use those capital letters. I, I, I wish they would. I think it would be more appropriate. He was surprised to hear me say that, but that's my opinion. And I said, but the New Testament doesn't have it at all. And he goes, yes, it does. It's in there. See, that's the thing. You need the New World Translation. So I responded and I said, tell you what. If you can find one spot in the Greek, in the original Greek New Testament, one place where Jehovah is in the Greek, I will become a Jehovah's Witness. Now, I'm cheating because I already know the answer. I said, on the other hand, if you don't, then you have to admit that the translators of the New World translation mishandled the text and added things in order to promote their theology rather than staying faithful to the word. Um, he, was, he said he was going to go research and stuff and come back, um, but I never did talk to him again. Um, that was months ago. I don't know. I think they whitelisted me because they don't come to my house anymore. Blacklist. Or blacklist, whatever it is. They put me on some kind of list. <laughs> um, but I haven't had them in my house in a long time. I think I'm what's, what's called like an active resistor or something like that. There's a term for it. So let's look at some other examples. Um, John 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, in the New World Translation, it says, now listen carefully to my words. You'll recognize most of this, but some of it will shock you. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's the New World Translation. Uh, Pretty much every other translation is going to say the Word was God. The Word was God. And that's what the Greek says. And yes, they can quote stuff, but they don't know Greek. They're just quoting stuff. Um, That's what the Greek says. That's why every other translation handles it in a different way than they do. It's not a conspiracy. It's just what it means. Not to mention the problems of having a God. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Second Peter one one. Here's another passage. Let me read it to you, and I'll read the New King James Version. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, this is one being who is our God and Savior, and He's Jesus Christ. That's the rendering in English. That's the rendering in Greek. This is, uh, this is a, a very important Greek rule called your Granville Sharps rule. This is, let's just say, it's a Greek rule. Okay, this is how it's supposed to be translated. This is it. He's our God and Father. Excuse me, our, our God and Savior, pardon me, Jesus Christ. But the New World Translation translates it this way. Through the righteousness of our God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. The would be ha, or a little a little Omicron with a little a little C on the top of it that gives you a in front of it, right? That's what this would be. But is that found in the Greek anywhere? No, it's not there. It's just added. They just, they just lied. The translators just lied because the text clearly indicates that Jesus is God. 
And so they just lied about it. Another one is Titus 2.13. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which, again, one, one individual, Jesus Christ, he's God and Savior. But the New World Translation says, While we wait for the happy hope and glorious manifestation of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, adding two words, of and our, before Jesus Christ, so, so that it becomes um, God's one and then the Savior is a separate one. But this is just a, a mishandling of the text. I'm not going to try to get into this crazy Greek stuff with you guys, but I just... Let's just say this. There are some Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness excuses they give, and they go, well, we translate it this way because we use this principle, but they don't use that principle except for a very small percentage of the time when they come across a passage that makes Jesus God. So they don't even use their own principle when they're, when they're applying it to other sentences that they translate, which means that they're lying. That's what that means. That's what that means. The translators lied. In, the, in Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read to you the New World Translation version, and I want you to listen for the word other. Because every single time I read the word other, it was an added word that, like alas, which is a Greek word. An added word, though, that did not occur in the Greek anywhere, in any transcript of the Greek. Okay, so this is just a totally fabricated word. Listen to and think about the impact the word other has. Um, this, this caused a big stink. When they first released the New World Translation, so many scholars came out against them that they, that they later went over and put brackets around the word other, which I believe they later took back off again later because... It's more effective without the brackets, right? So let me read to you. Colossians 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him, all other things were created. The word other is added by the New World Translation. In the heavens and on the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he's before all other things and by him by means of him all other things were made to exist and he is the head of the body the congregation he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he might become the one who is first in all things because God was pleased to have all fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all other things by making peace through the blood he shed on the torture stake whether the things on the earth or the things in the heavens again torture stake is not yeah, that, that's wrong. So that was Colossians chapter 1, um, verses 15 through 20. Every, every instance of the word other was completely added. Even, there is actually a Jehovah's Witness produced. You can, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you can check this without even going outside of Watchtower produced information. Get your interlinear Greek New Testament and look at the, look at the, the Greek. The word other is not there. The word other is not there. And um, in any of those cases, every single time, it's, uh, it's simply brought up. And manifested. And you can't imply the word other like that. Okay? You might be able to imply certain words, but not, that word, not the word other. So there's other uh, verses and stuff that we could go to. Um, like, for instance, they take out the word the every time the Holy Spirit is, is brought up in Scripture. They just remove the word the. doesn't matter if the definite article is there in the, in the Greek. It's just erased when it goes to English. So the Holy Spirit is never called the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit. Um, they routinely change anything that does not fit their theology. They, they, and then to defend this, they'll quote scholars out of context. But if you look for the context of that quote, you'll find that scholar does not support the New World Translation like they think he does. Um, because it's just, it's lies on top of lies. It's very sad. Now, they don't know this. The Jehovah's Witness does not know this. They're not aware of these lies because they're not allowed to check anything 
they have not only the Bible, but they have what's probably more important to them, the Watchtower Organization's magazines, which are treated the same as the Word of God. I mean, they're treated on that level. This is, this is from the prophet, basically, the faithful and discreet slave. And their Word of God, in a sense, it has 32 new pages added every week. It's just new, new published material every week, which makes it easy for an apologist to go over the material and look at it and find problems because there's so much of a wealth of information to go over there. But it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Um, I would give you, again, a list of some of the contradictions or some of the false prophecies, but I already did that in another, in another series in a different video, so we'll move forward. Um, what can you expect if they come to your door? When they come to your door, you can expect to get some magazines. They'll have material for you. Um, if you don't want it, get it and bring it to me. I'll take it. <laughs> I don't mind. It's one less magazine they've got. That, that's nice, you know. <laughs> Go ahead and take it and bring it. I'll check it out. Um, you expect a lot of scripture quoted out of context, which is why anytime they quote scripture to defend something, listen, this is important. You have to go to the passage with them, read it in context, and it will, it will, you will see clearly how this doesn't apply. But uh, if you just let them quote it out of context, and then they move to another text and move to another verse and another verse, you'll lose the conversation because it'll just be too much stuff, too much muckety-muck in there. So go, hold on, let's go to the passage. Stop, if you're not familiar, read before, read after, take your time, look at it. Um, because the because God protects us with the context. He protects us from getting things wrong. Then they will um, often bring up things like the word torture stake instead of cross. They'll bring up things like, what do you think heaven's really going to be like? And then they'll, they'll try to throw you off with some little tri trivia, basically Jehovah's Witness trivia. Um, the name Jehovah, um, that you have to say the name Jehovah or God won't hear you. Now, what's interesting is there's tons of examples throughout the Bible of people calling on God without using the name Jehovah or Yahweh. Tons of examples. And God answering. Um, they also pronounce the name wrong, so that's also true. Um, but whatever. I don't think it matters personally how you pronounce. I think God knows. God knows. I have people call me Mike. Some people call me Michael. I have family who call me Miguel. It's just the way it is. They just call me Miguel. I respond to all of the above, and I don't really care. You know? Dork face, sometimes Allison calls me that. And I respond to that too. <coughs> here's my one piece of advice if they come to your door. I, I wish I could give you, here's a breakdown of everything you should say at the door, but it's just too much um, for today. Uh, I have a video. Wait, some suggestions. It's totally incomplete. I know. It's just to, it's just to, to get started. Control the conversation. That's my advice. Control the conversation. Not rudely, but do not allow them to change the subject. Once you've, here's, here's what I recommend. Decide what's worth talking about, like the identity of Jesus or how, how you can be saved, and then control the conversation. Do not let them change the subject. Resist the temptation to grab the red herring that is thrown out and go after it. So if you're like, all right, the identity of Jesus. Where in the Bible does it say Jesus is Michael the archangel? And you're like, well, the problem with your Bible is that you guys took the name Jehovah out of it. Here's what you need to say. Can we come back to that later? Can we just talk about the identity of Jesus? So then you go to the passage and you, and you see how, how, um, how in Hebrews 1, he's greater than the angels. And they go, oh yeah? But, but in, in John 5, he said, my father is greater than I. And you go, hold on. Can we just look at Hebrews 1 first? Let's not use the Bible to fight the Bible. Let's come to an interpretation of this passage. Then we'll go over there. You have to stop the conversation from deterring because here's what will happen. An hour and a half later, you're going to be exhausted and feel like you got nowhere. So I would say it's better to chase down one issue 
than it is to run everywhere trying to answer every single thing. It's okay to go, you know what, that's a great question, but we can't do both of these. Let's stick to the topic. So that's why you pick a good topic first. This one's worth chasing down. And that way it's not like you're making a big sacrifice when you don't chase other ones down. Because I'm just going to focus on this. Focus on this one thing. And may the Lord give you wisdom. May the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you in it. Best thing you can do is just know, know the word um, um, and know the Lord. Because I think the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. I mean, I've had Kevin so many times God gives me that wisdom at the moment. Um, not that it necessarily converts the person. In fact, what you're often just trying to do is just crack the door open a tiny bit to undo a little bit of the brainwashing that they've had. So I'd say control the conversation in a gentle, kind way. And let me say this. Here's how I want to end. Uh, I have a message to any Jehovah's Witnesses that have, that have stuck through <laughs> and watched this this far and you're still with me. Um, one of the sad things is that when many Jehovah's Witnesses, when they begin to realize that they've been lied to, they leave the Jehovah's Witness religion and they just float. They don't know what to believe. They don't know who to believe. They don't want to get suckered again. And there's so much confusion. They often don't believe the watchtower. At least they don't think they do. But they're still holding all these lies about, about Christians in their minds and in their hearts. And it's just, it's, it's just a massive amount of bleh that they have to get through because of what's been done to them. Well, I just want to say this. Look, I'll say something to the Jehovah's Witness that your organization would never say to you. Test everything I say. Go research it on your own. Check it out and see if it's true. And if it's true, believe it. If it's not, reject it. You see, that's something they're not used to. They're not used to the idea that someone would say, yeah, if it's true, you should be able to poke it with a stick. Do you know what I mean? If it's true, you should be able to check it out. If it's true, I shouldn't be afraid of what dissenters might say about it. If it's true, it should be able to stand up in the marketplace of ideas and defend itself. And that is absolutely the case with Christianity, with biblical Christianity. It's absolutely the case. I encourage people to, to read and research and dig in and stuff like that. The only danger is when you never read your Bible, but you do read a bunch of atheist stuff or something like that. Obviously, you're in danger there, but not because of the atheist stuff. It was the lack of you being familiar with the, the scriptures that was the problem. So then when they misrepresent it, you don't even know what's happened. So we need to obviously read the scriptures. But, um, but this is what the Bible says. John, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It doesn't say ignore them. It says test them. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, it says test all things. Hold fast that which is good. So I'd say it's worth digging in and doing some research. And um, uh, my, my channel is full of that. In fact, we're going to continue on our series of evidence for the Bible. Uh, the next... One I'm going to do is going to be on specifically a group of messianic prophecies about Jesus, showing how it narrows down the field to where it could only be this one man, Jesus, is the Messiah. I, I can't wait to get into there with you guys. And um, let's pray, and then I'm going to open it up to any questions you guys have. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for rescuing us from the lies we have previously believed. As you keep rescuing us, whenever we get in your word, you save us more and more from, uh, from false things, false behavior and false <coughs> ideas. We thank you, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, our Lord, our Savior. We praise you. We give you all the credit for who you are. And we just want to know you in truth and follow you in, in, in genuineness. And we pray that you would uh, you'd help us to be a light to our neighbors. We, we, we lift up the Jehovah's Witnesses in our area and our surrounding cities. And we pray, Lord, from the top down that they would discover the true gospel of Christ and that they would unlearn the lies of the Watchtower organization, Lord. 
We pray for the children, for those who've been raised in it for decades, Lord, of their lives, that you would not only bring them out of that, but you bring them into you and into knowing you in truth, God. Please let them discover Jesus, the real Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. While I was dead, you sought me out and gave your life to me. There is no greater love than this to do what you did for me.